know now that we talk about new movie The Boy and the Heron on Better Buddies. Hello, and welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week, it's John. Hello. Our Better Buddies icebreaker this week, the United States of America is being renamed. What is your suggestion? Newfoundland. Newfoundland? <laughs> Newfoundland. Newfoundland? <laughs> what if we just called it Oldfoundland now? Oh, what if we just called it the Old World? <laughs> the, yeah. This is This is the old one. We're going to yeah. Mars, that's the new la- new world. Stuff in Europe, that's the new world. Guys, I discovered um, this great continent called Africa. Maybe <laughs> you've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I really have a serious answer here. Place names are hard, because, you know, they kind of are what they are. I'm going to call it Johnland. 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 New New England. <laughs> new New England. We've got Which New New England, England is part of. Dutch New England and Old New England. Yes. All of which are part of New New England. Yes. <laughs> what about the, uh, we'll just call it the Empire. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. The The British, they they were hoity-toity and named it after themselves. We're, we're not so conceited. It's just the Empire. The Commonwealth versus the Individual Wealth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What if we just call the United States of America private property? Yeah. No trespassing. <laughs> oh. Um. The country make country face. There we go. That's the that's that's supreme answer right there. Country make country face. I'm sure if there were a poll. Oh, wait. We should just Her. call it North America. The real North America. <laughs> the real North America. Not that Canada. That's North North America. And then Mexico is South North America. South North America, yeah. We're and just we're regular North America. America. Which... Call it... That reminds me of the whole, like, Canadians being like, oh, I'm an American, too. And it's like, well... Yes. Yes, but actually, no. I don't think... Estados Unidos. How often do South Americans go around saying, I'm an American? Um, I mean, it's... It happens. Does it? It's the same argument as with Canada. It is, but I feel like because there's no, like group specifically calling themselves American with South America. It's kind of like, yeah, that's South America, but, like, I'm from Brazil. I'm Brazilian. Yeah. I think it's more common in Central America, from mm. at least my experience with it, where they're part of North America. But... Yeah. RJ Land. RJ Land. It's all mine. Buddydom. The buddydom. We're uh, we're sovereign. <laughs> we're sovereign citizens of the digital country of better buddies. Oh boy. <laughs>
your your human meat space laws don't apply to us. Right. We are fully digital corporate AI entities. <laughs> yep. Draw your fan art of that. Yeah. We we are going to be friend computer in the apocalypse. We're gonna continue making the silicon think. Even though that will lead to our downfall. And thus will the first great space jihad begin. Oh as no. They purge the thinking machines. What's no that? machine shall think for a man. What's that war called again? I don't remember. Uh, I've never read Dune. It's like the Butlerian. Oh, it's the Butlerian Jihad. Yeah. Um, my brain is getting stuck on the Orange Catholic Bible for a moment, and how that was the result of every religious leader coming together and say, "Okay, we're gonna hash this out." And they pitched Catholicism. Like no, no, no. <laughs> just that it's the Orange Catholic Bible. Okay. The the Catholics and the Orange Catholic, like the Catholics, chipped in. And ultimately, they all, all the religions sat down together and made the one Bible. It just ended up with the name Orange Catholic. Gotcha. Yeah, but, we're going out into space now, and that challenges, you know, everything about what we really believe. It was. It so, kind of was that, like, okay, we as religious organizations will not survive this delusion. Um, so let's do this. Just pick something. I mean, people who uh, already believe that the Bible is just the work of people must have had a field day with that one. I think it actually came around more so on it because it became repopularized with the space jihad. I suppose. It's popularly elected. <laughs> I feel like there was some vague instance of like, they negotiated it and debated it for like, years and at one point everybody like got assassinated and a whole new group of people came in to finish it or something I have to look it up sounds plausible (laughs) I should read Dune you should really read Dune you don't have to read any of the other ones but you should read Dune like the first two are generally not crazy right correct And then it goes off the rails a little bit. And then it begins to span thousands of years and ends with clones of everyone. Big space worm god emperors. Yes. So the Orange okay. Catholic Bible um, was supposed to be a fusion of all significant religions throughout in human hi- thought in human history, of all significant religious thought in human history, with a strong emphasis on religious beliefs originating on Earth, including the Maometh Sarai, sorry, uh, the Mayanaya Christianity, Zinsuni Catholicism, Buddhist-Islamic traditions. Wow. Produced by the commission of the ecumenical translators in the wake of the Butlerian Jihad. Its supreme commandment was, thou shalt not disfigure the soul. Hmm. What does that mean? I think it's mostly just don't sin. Okay. But they simplified it as do not disfigure the soul rather than uh, anything else. Yeah. Any, like, specifically coded 
to a particular religion. Um, just be chill, bro. Basically. It's the greatest rule. <laughs> Fair enough. Somebody uh, wrote it. Amazon listing for the Orange Catholic Bible in the future of the OCB will unfold reality. International Council on Interplanetary Religion. In Is the beginning, there related? was no beginning. Is that, like, sanctioned by Frank Herbert, or... No. Seemingly independent. Very unofficial. Okay. okay. And as for the orange part, uh, it refers to the Orange Order, which is a Protestant order originating in Northern Ireland. Jeez, they just picked two Christian names for their new <laughs> books, didn't they? He used the... Uh, Orange Catholic for so Frank Herbert used the Orange Catholic Bible to show that Catholicism and Protestantism had merged much as Zen Buddhism and Sunni Islam merged in the Zen Sunni faith. Interesting. And as somebody in that comment section pointed out, Frank Herbert's whole religious construct is probably the most fictional part of Dune, as history shows religions are more likely to split than merge. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> Huh, I wonder if, um, gosh, who wrote the Hyperion books? I need to look that up. But there's a lot of religious talk in those as well. Uh, there's like a whole Catholic uh, space Dan empire. Simmons. Yeah, Dan Simmons. I wonder if he got inspired from um, Dune. Probably. His Hyperion 1 came out in 1989. Oh, for sure, man. Um, Dune release date. 2021, really? Hmm. <laughs> 1965, yeah. Almost certainly then. Yeah. Because um, was... there's like Zen Buddhists and uh, Zen Gnosticism and <laughs> Space Catholics. Space Catholics! The Shrike the Commission Church, of you know. Translators. So the Commission that created the Orange Catholic Bible uh, emerged after the Butlerian Jihad when the Space and Guild and Benny Gesserit encouraged the leaders of religions to exchange their views. In the course of seven years, they created the Orange Catholic Bible. Um, and they had 101 faiths in the first edition. The Galactic Spiritual Assembly of Baha'i, the Great Mother Church, the Zen Sunni Catholic Amalgamation, the Zen Shintoist Imperial Church. Fascinating. How many people, like, are around in general in the time of Dune. It's only like a couple hundred thousand, right? No, it's... Or are there like I millions? I think it's millions. It's just it's spread out across such a wide space. Okay. And the, in particular, Dune, the planet, is consists of so little in terms of habitable space. Yeah. As it's mainly just a handful of cities and then wherever the um, Fremen live. Exactly. 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I should read that. Um. Oh, out of the first meeting, their two major developments were the commission of the group that was going to figure it out, and then literally the realization that all religions had at least one common commandment, thou shalt not disfigure the soul. Um, <clears throat> the Orange Catholic Bible is created through the process of harmonization, which rendered the stiff old texts of the Holy Scriptures plastic enough to be mixed and twisted. Uh, yes, of course. Some of the texts, texts which remain among the most popular, proved highly resistant to change. Why is there so much lore around this thing? I don't know. <laughs> um. The. All the historical books of the Judeo-Christian scripture were harmonized as far as possible, if not farther, with the Quran. Um, and then... The Hindu-Buddhist got some books in there. The Zen Sunni got some books in there. And a couple of the newer religions got in there. And 90 generations later, it's permeated the religious universe, but before that, the re reactions were disastrous. Um, when the CET delegates returned to their respective congregations, 18 of them were lynched within two months, and 53 recanted within the year. Yikes. So that's what I was thinking of. And... Immediate demands for an authorized revised version were doomed to failure since no ecumenical, ecumenical body of sufficient authority could again be assembled. Um. Yeah. That's it. That's. That's, that's it. That's a fictitious, do omni religious Bible. That's that's probably more than anybody needed to know about the Orange Catholic Bible, but uh, <laughs> there you go. There's there's your learning for the day. Here you go. If we accomplish anything on this week's episode, it's uh, it's that. All right. Any other last minute suggestions for what to rename the United States of America? The Orange Catholic States of America. <laughs> The Orange Catholic States of America. <laughs> what if we just called them the American States of Unity? Uh, um, could do, could do. Really, really emphasize the need, the the unity part. <laughs> e pluribus unum. E pluribus this bitch. Go the community route. E pluribus anum. Ah, there we go. We'll get a new flag. <laughs> yeah. God. That'll be glorious. Honestly, that's... that's We need America to electric boogaloo in terms of just updating all our symbols. The flag was cool, <laughs> but have you seen, like, 
Thor, he's pretty cool. Lightning is pretty cool. Fire is pretty cool. Oh, jeez. Crows are pretty cool. Uh, rock and roll is pretty cool. We could have we could change the flag to be a guitar with lightning and flames and birds on it. And instead of pledging allegiance... Like Germany's flag? <laughs> no, Germany's flag didn't have a guitar on it. Oh, uh, okay, okay. That's That's the difference. <laughs> it's the only one. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've got yellow, they got red, they got a bird. Uh, and so the Pledge of, right. Pledge of Allegiance, we just, uh, everyone stands up, makes the devil horns, and says, rock on. Rock on. Or we could go the Bill and Ted route and just be excellent to each other. Excellent, all the time. Well, our next segment, Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. And surprise, surprise, it's not the Orange Catholic Bible, as you can't actually read that. Well, apparently you can. You can, but it's fake. It was fake to begin with. <laughs> I want a real one. Frank Herbert, come back from the dead. <laughs> Frank Herbert, please. Well, it's up to you to write the next one, I guess. Being the next great prophet of our times. Um, would you like to go first? Sure. I'm going to recommend the latest Studio Ghibli film. I always say that studio name wrong because I never really can pin it pin it down. But uh, the Boy and the Heron. I watched it this pat like literally yesterday. Ooh, that was a good movie. I'm personally a little torn on it. How so? I thought it was fine. It, um, maybe it's just because I wasn't the target audience or whatever, but it, it didn't make a ton of sense to me I in the was... back half. Oh, that's probably when it made more sense to me. That's when it felt more like a, more like a movie from that studio. Um, yeah. Like the second he dropped into the ocean world, it's like, okay, I know where we're at now. But it's like, there are just so many random hanging threads, like the whole thing about the pelicans being brought there to eat the Wada Wada, and that's it. Like, that's all oh, <laughs> said about it. I think you misunderstood them. They weren't brought there to do that. It's that they got brought there, but there, w- there wasn't any fish. Oh. They had no choice. That was the only thing they could find to eat. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it just seemed like... It's kind of the okay. same thing with, like, the parakeets. Is like... The parakeets got brought there, and they just did whatever they were going to do to survive and have their king and eat people to be the parakeet army. Gotcha. Okay, it seemed like the Tower Master explicitly brought them there um, to, you know, do their bad things uh, when I was watching it. But that makes more sense that it was just kind of carelessness. Like, he brought them there because he thought they were interesting, and then they had to turn to savagery to survive. I think a lot of the stuff set up in, like, the world as, um, Miho? I can't remember the protagonist's name. I don't remember either. (laughs) Let's look it up, though. Um, Um, this boy, as he's going through this, like, spirit realm where the living and dead are overlapping, uh, it's... We should probably back up a little bit. 
Yeah, give a bit of a plot synopsis, I guess. His name is Mahito. Mahito, that's it. This boy, Mahito, it's World War II, I'm assuming. Um, It's like 1939, yeah. Yeah. Ends up going to live out in the country with his father and his father's new wife, who is the sister to dad's previous wife. Um, Mahito is traumatized by the death of his mother, who died in a hospital fire. Um... And while there, finds a tower that his great-great-great-great-uncle had built and was, like, the tower master over and vanished. Uh, Mahito's new mother goes missing. He goes into the tower, and he sees her heading into the woods towards the tower. He goes into the tower to find her. And ends up in a fantastical, magical world where the living and the dead coexist in, to some degree, in respect. Um, kind of one of those life and death cycle through this place as an afterlife, but the living can just live there. Um, it's worth noting that it's, it's about half and half of the movie, I think, is him, his, like, life in the regular world and then the magical world. Yeah, it took about an hour, um, for him to get in the magical world. Maybe a little less. Yeah. And I was trying to... I was kind of struggling, but it seemed like his dad might have been Australian. I was wondering, too. He was either Australian or he was American, but he he definitely didn't seem Japanese. Which is what I used as the reason... One of the reasons why the kids picked on him when he tried to go to school. Oh. Is, like, he's not necessarily full Japanese and he comes from money... Because his dad owns the factory, or is at least running the factory. And so, like, he shows up, he's the rich kid in town. Yeah, I assumed it was some combination of new kid and rich kid. Just didn't fit in. Plus, apparently, um, like, the surrounding area might know that his bloodline is weird. Yeah. Uh, so, that might have played into it too, but honestly, it's like a three-minute scene, (laughs) and it's never really mentioned again. I really liked it, though, because, again, this is a new film, so spoilers on all of this, but later on when it's like, hey, the Tower Master's like, I want you to be my successor, shout out to Mark Hamill for that voice, though, and I caught him right away. Him and Dave Bautista. Ooh. Um... I thought Dave Bautista was a great choice for a Studio Ghibli film, though. Ghibli. Was he the the uh, Parakeet King? Yeah. Okay. Um, the Tower Master asks Mahito to be his, become the new Tower Master, and Mahito's like, I, I can't. I am tainted by destruction and... Like, whatever it is you want me to c- become the Tower Master to try and create a better world here and keep things going at a better pace i'm from the very world you ran from i'm from the world of assassins and thieves it doesn't matter how much how pure we try and make it it will always be tainted by our own hand Hmm. yeah it was also kind of like sorry go ahead I was just going to say, one thing that did stick out to me is like, oh, didn't go where I expected it, was when he gets found by the Fisher woman, 
Yeah. And she sets up the dolls of the grannies to, like, watch over him. And she's like, don't knock him over. I half expected him to, like, accidentally knock one over, and it's like, oh, now one of them died. Yeah. <laughs> she gone. Uh, Kiriko. Kiriko. I have looked up a list of characters because I'm not going to remember any of them. I also really like the blending on the, um, like, characters. Or not the characters, the genres, like, and the magic on there and all that stuff. And also, talk about a stacked cast. We had Robert Pattinson... Christian Bale, this is dubbed, um, Florence Pugh, Willem Dafoe, Mark Hamill, Dave Bautista, uh, Mamadou Athi, I don't recognize, but Tony Rivalori was in it? What was he in, what what character was he? Flash Thompson from the new Spider-Man movies was in this movie. Uh, I'm going over to IMDb to see if it has the list. Um, videos, photos, no, no, cast. Come on. All cast and crew, here we go. Um... Cast. So Robert Pattinson played the Grey Heron. Willem Dafoe is the Noble Pelican. Oh. I thought I recognized his voice, but I didn't realize. Yeah, Mark Hamill's granduncle. Um, Florence Pugh is Kiriko. Wow, I would not have pinned... Robert Pattinson or Florence Pugh as their characters. Although I th- feel like I've only heard Florence Pugh as um, her Marvel character. Oh, you gotta watch her in other stuff. She's good. Yeah. Who's who's your friend that has a fascination with Florence? Is that Eli? I don't know. I'd have to go back and double check. It's come up on this podcast before. Where is he? Was on here. He was in the 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 googling of it. Yeah. Oh, he was one of the parakeets. Tony Rivalori was one of the parakeets. Oh, okay. (laughs) They do talk a bit at the end when they're like climbing to the top. One, two, three. There's like three guys who are just parakeets. (laughs) I think my favorite scene was um, when the parakeets come out of the door for the first time, and he's like, "My, go turn into a parakeet." (laughs) Yeah, he's a little budgy. That was so good. <laughs> and honestly, I loved the dad in that scene because, like, they managed to strike a good balance between this dad is a f- dad of that time period who is, I am working and you are going to be a man's man and this is that, but also like he very clearly cares for his wife and son and like he gears up ready to march into the tower. Yeah. I also really like the parakeets like just their whole thing 
of when they were first introduced where the heron is like, I'll go lead him away and you can sneak in to talk to the blacksmith. And the heron leads a bunch of them away and he goes inside and they're like all just standing there, like blatantly going to kill him. Oh, hey there. Yeah, if you don't like birds, this is not the movie for you. Unless you really don't like birds, in which case... You get scared. <laughs> it did have a lot more body horror than I was necessarily expecting. <laughs> like, yeah, the... The pelicans were pretty... Pretty wild. The heron, like, the guy coming out of them was disturbing at first. When they first went into the ta- like, when they got into the main room of the tower... And the heron, like, was getting him closer, and he, like, goes to touch the shoulder, and she melts into water. Oh, yeah, that was not great either. (laughs) Um, Oh. The parakeets just being the parakeets. Yeah. They were kind of derpy enough to be fun, but they were also terrifying. Which is amazing how well they struck that line of, like... These are derpy giant birds that clearly are not very effective, but also the sheer number of skulls and knives they have means they have been more than effective. Yeah, I mean, like, if his mom didn't save him, he was toast. (laughs) Nothing he could have done. Like a magic firepower wizard. I did... (laughs) I did appreciate the film knowing there were some things that needed to be explained and some things that just didn't, and the fire magic was not one of them. She died in a fire, so therefore she has fire magic. (laughs) She died in a fire, but we're going to establish, ah, maybe she didn't die. Maybe she just returned to the world. Like 20 years younger. Oh, no, I meant later. Oh, uh, like, after she... Okay. Yeah, so I she went it. in for, like, a year and came out later. He shows up at the end of her year when she was in it, and then they all leave at their respective times, but then she comes back when she's older. But there's no world to go back to now. So why didn't he run into his, like, grown-up mother? Um, Magic of the Tower. Okay. <laughs> she went to go take over. The world was destroyed, and when she died in the fire, she was reborn in the brand fresh new world. Mm. <laughs> sure. I'm not convinced. <laughs> That's fine. I did. <laughs> I also have to appreciate that. The climax of the movie is, hey, I need you to become the new Tower Master. Your whole thing is to stack these blocks in a tower every day. If it falls over, every three days, I should say, every three days, you need to restack the tower. If it falls over, everything dies. And the Bird King, the the Parakeet King is just like, what? You need to keep that tower stacked in order for this entire planet to live? I'm going to do it really quickly without thinking. And then also cut it in half. Yeah. Like, (laughs) no thoughts, head empty. (laughs) I thought he was going to make a move before they got all the way up to the Tower Master. But, guess not. 
So where yeah, would you? Uh, very... So you say this is a mid-tier Ghibli film for you? Yeah, probably. I haven't seen that many of them. I've seen um, like five or six. Yeah, I've seen similar. Like Howl's and Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke are top tier. Um, Kiki's was fine, but I was also only half paying attention to it. I would. I haven't seen Howl's or Kiki's or Spirited Away. Oh, you got to see Howl's and Spirited Away. They're all on HBO Howl's. right now. I. If that is I convenient, I kind of might put this above Mononoke. For me. Although that being said, my favorite is Porco Rosso, so. I don't know. I'm not sure why I didn't like it as much. It feels very Laputa to me. Oh, never really seen that one either. Because Laputa's, like, literally all about the cat. Like, Laputa and Castle in the Sky is literally like, uh, we live down on the ground, this is the thing we do, and we're up in the air now. Magic Castle. Oh, <laughs> that's not good. They, they, they have the flying machines and the Magic Castle and Mark Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need. That's all you need in life. Well, you see with Howells, you get uh, Christian Bale and Billy Crystal. We got Christian Bale and Mark Hamill in this one. Yeah. And Robert Pattinson. I still can't believe he was the Heron. I... It was very surprising, but I loved it. Yeah. The Heron was great. The Heron was so fun. I'm glad he's grown out of his Twilight days. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad how much he embraced it with the Batman, though. Yeah. I'm going to go back uh, to being a moody, edgy teenager. Yes. Um, but back to the movie, there was one point where I was wondering if, like, everything was a result of him um, hitting himself in the head with the rock. Oh. I did wonder that, too. Like, is this all going to be a fever dream? And then, like, he'll wake up from the fever dream, and then there will be, like... Like, when they left, they'll be like, oh, but this stone from the other world's in your pocket. <laughs> so he It's a real Inception ending. Yeah. It's like, did it happen? Did it not? Does it matter? And then that whole thing at the end, I, uh, I'm wondering how much of this is also, like, a dub versus sub issue. Uh-huh. Because, um, like, the Heron's whole speech about forgetting it at the end just felt kind of oddly stated. I think it it might be a dub sub issue, but I I got what they were going for. The idea because I think part of it too is it's supposed to, it's semi autobiographical, right? Of Miyazaki himself, at least as I understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of that idea of Miyazaki had these ideas for these fantasy worlds, and the parallel is, hey kid don't uh most people grow up and forget the magic they see they forget the the unclaimed untamed wilds they forget the odds and the ends it's probably best if you go and forget too so that you don't stand out and instead he Mm. went and brought everyone else to them 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. I wasn't thinking of it on like a, how does this relate to the self-biographical aspect level? I've, I want to see, now I want to go double check and make sure I'm right on that. No, I mean, that's what I've heard about the movie too. That he, he put a lot of himself into it. Um, Semi-autographical pulling inspiration from both Hayao Miyazaki's past and present. Um... Both Miyazaki and Maito fled Tokyo during the final years of World War II and settled in the countryside as young boys. Miyazaki's father was a warplane mechanic. And Miyazaki almost lost his mother to tuberculosis at a young age. Um... I, oh, I just remember another thing I loved, though, was... Oh, interesting. Uh, so this article I'm glancing through real quick. Uh, it says, in order to understand the film, however, it's important to consider the original title of the film. The English version was released as The Boy and the Heron, but the Japanese release is best translated as How Do You Live? Mm. And it's a reference to a 1937 novel, which is the one from the book, or from the movie. It's the one his mom gives him. Oh, um, okay. And the novel revolves around a 15-year-old boy named Kaparu as he learns about growth, grief, and the human experience. I wonder if that's translated anywhere. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, so I think it really is the... Oh, this comes a decade after... Miyazaki's previous work, The Wind Rises. But what'd you think of the music on it? I loved the music. Um, I did too. It felt very Breath of the Wild. Yes. <laughs> now that you say <laughs> that, that makes sense. Yeah, they went more for the minimal um, like piano aspect that Breath of the Wild went for, and I think it paid off well. Very much so. Because there's also, movie, course, but yeah, but that like piano note progression they would do at important moments, they transform it depending on the moment. It was almost like a little call of like, "Hey, pay attention." Wait, there was a lead motif. I don't know about a lead motif. I just know like <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Like it was kind of that same two notes, right? The dun, dun, like the the. The, there'd be these two like held notes two to three held notes that would just be like very slow purposeful like this note and then this note and every time that happened it was usually when something important in the movie was going on okay but yeah I recommend The Boy and the Heron it's an all ages film it's the animation is beautiful as ever. They did some really fun stuff with the 2D animation, but then a couple points where they would very clearly was like, oh, you're using computer-generated, like, 3D to achieve what you maybe couldn't as easily with 2D, but it's still, like, in your style. And specifically, I think there's one shot where the heron is flying around the house. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, what do you recommend? I am recommending another movie <gasps> with uh, Christian Bale in it as <gasps> well. Um, <laughs> it's 2008's The Dark Knight, which I don't know if we've talked about on this podcast before, but... We um, have, but only because there was one point where I recommended every single movie in a row. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and that was like two-ish ish years, years ago. ago. Okay. Um, but yeah, it came back into my life because we are watching it for movie club at work. <laughs> it came back into my life. Like, it came back into my life. I thought I could quit her and then she waltzed right back <laughs> into the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I own it on DVD, thankfully. So I booted up the old PS4 as the DVD player that it has been relegated to. Um... And watched it last night, and I think it holds up for being nearly 14 years old. No, 16 years old. <laughs> Damn. 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 <laughs> but um, I realized on this watch through that part of what makes it great is it's not really about Batman. What's it about? It's about the entire cast mm. of, like, Gordon... Uh, specifically Bruce Wayne, like, Bale does a really good Bruce in this movie. Um, then Batman, then the Joker, then Harvey Dent, then Rachel, and Alfred, and Lucius. Um, so, like, there's just enough uh, big action Batman scenes, like him sieging the tower in Hong Kong, and, um, you know, driving scenes in the tank Batmobile. Um, but it's also, like, a lot of intrigue, uh, the Joker's always keeping you guessing. Like, Heath Ledger did a great job. You know, um, that movie's also perfectly casted. Like, Gary Oldman is a phenomenal Gordon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great cast. I You made a really great point, though, of, like, the best Batman are the ones that are also Bruce Wayne. Like, if you ignore the Bruce Wayne part of Batman, you have an incomplete character. Yeah. I almost don't know if Bale's a good Batman in this movie. You might really like... Um, a few years ago, an author... I'm trying to see what year it came out based on the copyright. Um, so in 2019, an author by the name of Sean Murphy was kind of given free reign of like, Hey, do a, do your own Batman story. And he... Oh, shit. 2019. I got I grabbed the wrong one. I grabbed the Curso. I gotta grab the right Batman book. <laughs> there it's are a, too many. Well, I grabbed the sequel, not the first one. Uh, this one was copyright... 2018. Um, but it's called Batman White Knight. And it kinda is a similar... Like, focus setup as the way you just described the Dark Knight of Batman, but also Bruce Wayne, Commissioner Gordon, the Joker, Harley Quinn, the supporting Bat family. But one of the f interesting things about it is it's the focus on the things like the Bat tank, right? Of It, it gives you a Batman and a Gotham where... Batman has escalated his everything 
trying to keep up with the crime. And it literally, the opening, like, chase scene, Joker is trying to flee Batman on rooftops in roller skates, and Batman is driving his tank across the rooftops. <laughs> or no, not roller skates, on a goddamn, like, hover scooter. Okay. And He's, um, Green Goblining it. Yeah, like, but by the end of the chase... They do finally get Joker. Batman kind of goes a little nuts and, like, shoves a bunch of pills in his mouth because Batman's so goddamn wound up. But afterwards, they're like, hey, you realize, like, Joker's crimes this time were he threatened to do something and then rode a scooter across a roof. And you drove a tank through a poor neighborhood did a shit ton of property damage, and then assaulted him. Like, maybe we were a little overkill on this one, Bats. Nah, the actions were justified. But it's also about how the pills that he shoved into Joker's mouth actually made him sane again, and Joker attempts uh, becomes Jack Napier and tries to, like, clean up Gotham his way through the system, and... All while the threat of, oh, what if he turns back into Joker? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that does sound interesting. I think I remember you recommending that in a previous episode. Yeah. Then there's Curse of the White Knight, which is the sequel follow-up. And then there's Batman Beyond the White Knight, which takes the Batman Beyond things and pastes it on there. <laughs> classic, classic. Um, Yeah. Uh, it's been a minute since I've watched Dark Knight. I should go yeah, rewatch that is... trilogy. <laughs> My main gripe with it is it's just so long. It it's is two long. and a half hours of runtime. Like, it's so phenomenally paced in that the Joker just brings the city to its knees in a matter of days. And you, like, watch each day as it happens. But uh, there but is probably a little bit of happens. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, I think the, the part that really struck with me this time that I didn't notice or realize before was he gives this whole speech to Harvey in the hospital. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, I'm not a schemer or a planner. I'm just, if I caught the car, I don't know what I'd do with it. But then, like... Later, he tells Bruce that, hey, this is all part of the plan. Like, I had to make sure Harvey fell. So I told him exactly what he needed to hear to be my pawn. Like, um, oh. <laughs> I've seen it pointed out, too, in the... Somebody point like, in screenshots of, like, floating around Facebook and stuff. They're like, oh, if you look at him, hold, like, having Hardy, Harvey hold the gun to him in the hospital, he's got, like, his thumb on the hammer so that it won't actually go off. Mm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all planned. Yeah, I mean, he had a plan for everything. Like, he wanted to get caught by the police, so he did. Um, although I'm assuming that he had a plan either way. Like, this is just in case I get caught. Let's ship in a guy with a bomb in his stomach. <laughs> yeah. All I need is one phone call. I don't know. Very, just very good movie. And then the uh, classic scene of the guy at Bruce Wayne's company realizing he's Batman. Yeah. And then Lucius is just like, 
you think this guy's a cape crusader, and you want to blackmail him? <laughs> you, you have found a man who chooses to go out at night dressed as a bat, and beats up criminals because he can, and you think it's a good idea to become a criminal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And later in the movie, like, the Joker puts a, a price on his head, pretty much. Um, and Bruce saves him from getting rammed by a truck, and yeah. they just share this silent look. Like, okay. <laughs> We're good now, right? We're good? Cool. <laughs> See, and I always, I always interpreted that look as the, like, yeah, I am Batman. What are you going to do, do about it? <laughs> yeah. you re- I just saved your life. You really want to go up against me now? Yeah. It was a bad idea before. It just got worse. <laughs> so, yeah, just a lot of good character work. Um, which, the, like, was really uh, leaned into by the cast. I think everybody did a great job. And then it got weird in the sequel when Darth Bane had that high-pitched voice. And I said Darth Bane, I just meant regular Bane. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises is not quite as good. I didn't even see that one for years because of the Aurora shootings. It wasn't even because of that that I didn't see it, I just never saw it. And But I'd heard all the jokes, right, of like, Hello, Batman! Uh, like I heard the joke versions so then when the movie happened and that was actually his voice I was like wait you're joking right wait a minute (laughs) like Tom Hardy is trying his best at his Tom Hardiest but like the squeaky high pitched like mask of voices were supposed to be the jokes nope No. it's the reality just was that third one, though, was also really fun because Christopher Nolan was like, no, it's not Talia Ragul. Shut up. No, it's not Talia. It's not Robin. And then it was Talia and Robin. And Robin? Yeah. That one uh, police officer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he goes back, they're like, the Batman's will is being distributed, and he has to give them his actual, like, real name and he's like it's Robin and everybody uh, in the theater was supposed to go oh we're setting up more movies baby and then they didn't I think it's for the best that they didn't yes if anything if the um 2010s DC movies taught us anything uh I think it's best that they didn't. <laughs> God. If the 2020 DC movies taught us anything, it's best that they didn't. Yeah. I have old... s- Sorry. The, um, honestly, like, Iron Man and the Dark Knight, that was really just the best stage for <laughs> superhero movies. When they were standalone, they weren't worried about setting anything but themselves up. Like, eh, eh, I don't know. Good times. They, they were. It was definitely excellent. I, I will. I will agree with that. I think it's the. I think mid mid MCU, like maybe second third, 
Because people weren't as thrilled with Age of Ultron, but like everything after Age of Ultron, people were pretty jazzed about. I don't think people, I, at least I personally, wasn't that big of a fan of Civil War. Oh, that's just me then. But no, I mean they're <laughs> great movies. Like the whole Infinity Saga is quite good. Yeah. What comes after, I have mixed feelings about, but. Well, and Jonathan Majors just got found, uh... Oh, did his case finally? Yeah, they finally hit that case, and, uh, he was found guilty. Yeah, that'll... (laughs) Crush some plans when you decide to build an entire phase on him. Yeah, he's not gonna be around anymore. Okay. That's for certain. Which, like, good on them! You know? Yeah. They're not just sticking it out. At the flip side, they have to be like, ah, this is a alt version. Tee-hee. Tee-hee. He just looks different now. He's from Infinite Multiverses. He doesn't have to look the same. Which is true. That's a convenient writing device. I am curious to see what they're going to do with that. Of its, Do they just do an alternate Kang from the one, like, oh yeah, here's all the Council of Kangs that like they ran into... Here's the Kang not on the council that is the Kang that is going to be a problem. Um, yeah. Or do they pivot who their big bad is going to be? Because some I've seen some rumor speculation concept that it's like, oh, they might just pivot to making it Doctor Doom. That could work. Which, I think it could work. But they'd really need to switch their setups, right? Like, it... People already kind of are over the one Marvel thing setting up other Marvel things. Yeah. So to pivot to Doctor Doom is going to require setups. I will um, say, though, go see Marvels. The Marvels... Is it even still out? It's not, really, but <laughs> it did, It was under... It, it got underhyped and underestimated. I really enjoyed it. And do it wasn't I have trying to, to watch, set things up. Do I have to watch Miss Marvel at all to enjoy it? No. Okay. Because I only watched the first episode. And Sounds all you really good. get there is that she's a really big Captain Marvel fan. Alright. And yeah, I'll check it out. A, Whatever. She got a bangle thing that does the crystal object stuff. The crystal object. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. Uh, yeah, I'll check it out whenever it hits Disney+. Plus. And, like, even with um, uh, Monica Rambeau, she gets set up... Like, they do a pretty good job of setting it up because it's based around... Her setup in the movie is based around uh, OG Captain Marvel having not really been around but trying to, like, be familiar with her. And Monica being like, "Yeah, you dipped out to space for a while. You don't get to you. You don't get to use the nicknames." <laughs> so, also, it's end credit scene sets up more multiverse stuff in a positive way. Uh, it's setting up more stuff, Archer. Just the just the end credits. Gosh. And uh, do, do you just want the end credits spoiled? Sure. It's Hank McCoy from the X-Men. The Blue Beast himself. Okay. 
Um, one of the characters ends up sucked through a rip in space-time, and Monica, it's Monica Rambeau, ends up sucked through a rip in space-time at the end of the film, that everyone in OG MCU thinks she's gone, and she wakes up in the X-Men Infirmary, where it's Beast who's making sure she's okay, and her mother who has the powers in that reality. Hmm. wild stuff yeah it's uh it's as one podcast i listened to back oh god this move this would have been 2019 i think they made the comment one of the hosts on the podcast made the comment of at some point there's going to be a clone saga spider-man movie and it's going to be eight hours long and it's going to be bad (laughs) which for anybody who to to explain it a little bit further it's a reference to a ongoing spider-man event from the comics in like the 90s that spanned functionally all of the 90s where they just kept changing the plans and what they were doing with it of spider-man's clone comes back it's ben riley but wait riley's the original spider-man's the clone so ben riley takes over as spider-man for a while and then Green Goblin comes back and kills Ben Riley, and it turns out Ben Riley was the clone. Who knew? Plot twist. It just—it was just a whole convoluted, ongoing mess of a storyline that spanned far longer than it should have. Eight-hour movie. Let's go. Just get it over with, really. If it's going to be bad, you might as well just do it all at once. Uh, there are... I did hear a the vaguest sense of a rumor that they may be doing another um, Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, and it may be a street-level version of Civil War. A street-level version of Civil War. Yeah, so we're talking so Daredevil, like Luke Cage, Daredevil. Punisher... Man, how much must it suck to be, like, relegated to a street-level superhero? Honestly? Depends on which street-level superhero you are. For, like, Spider-Man, who's got more powers, it's kind of like, I have my friendly neighborhood, but if they need me, I can step up to be a Fantastic Four or an Avenger. For Hawkeye, who, the minute he loses his team support, is street-level, it gets really bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what he was the Ronin, he was fine. They uh um, during COVID. There was a. Th- I'm gonna talk about this next week as my recommendation or on Wednesday as my recommendation. But there was a Marvel set of series. It was three trilogy. It was like a trilogy, four issues each. The Marvel Universe versus the first one was versus the Punisher, and it set up like an apocalyptic situation. But the third series was Marvel Universe versus the Avengers. And it's the Avengers, like, dealing with it as the apocalypse was developing. And it, as, like, this infection is spreading, it's not zombies, it's just, like, regression into caveman primal tribalism. As the virus spreads, literally the, like, last three heroes in Manhattan are Punisher, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. And they're talking to the science team that's trying to, like, cure this out, like, across the country. And Hawkeye's just like, what the, what are we supposed to do? We're street level. We're going up against hulks and the thing and powers. What are we supposed to do? Eh. So like, is, 
in that case, is the infection the antagonist, or does it like is it heroes that have regressed? Heroes that have regressed typically. Um, it's Are they just like warlords. Yeah, basically. Uh, in the okay. first series, by where it's Punisher, the series is set like six years in, like since the start. Um, and by that point, um, Punisher's just basically been using New York as a hunting ground and hunting any he comes across. Mm. Um, and one of the, the, like, biggest tribe in Manhattan is Spider-Man's. Gotcha. That seems like spoilers for the Avengers book. (laughs) (laughs) The previous book in the series is six years in the future, and... (laughs) <laughs> well, to be fair, the Punisher one came first, and then they did a versus Wolverine and versus the Avengers to, like, fill in how they got there. Gotcha. And But because of that, though, it came out, like, th- they each came out, like, a year apart. So, like, whatever they set up in Punisher, they did not do a great job of going back to re, like, tread. And they just kind of chalk it up to, eh, Frank Castle wasn't at everything, so he doesn't know anything exactly. <laughs> I mean, fair. But, yeah, do we want to do some advice real quick? Uh, I don't know, we're at about an hour, we could probably wrap up. Alright, well, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use the song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. We're also on social media. Our Facebook is Better Buddies, where we have our meme Mondays. Our Twitter is at BetterBudCast. Use the hashtag BetterBuddies when you tweet about the show. And by Twitter, I mean ex-Twitter account. Or account formerly known as Twitter. And our Gmail account is BetterBuddiesCast at gmail.com. You can send us fan art, hate art, fan mail, hate mail, declarations of love and or war, icebreakers you want us to answer, or questions you need advice on. And remember, if you get to share the show around, get us listeners and downloads and support, we'll uh, do some weird audio dramas. And last but not least, be a better buddy. We could we could talk all we want about the boy and the heron. We could. We might. We, we might probably as well. will. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be my recommendation, but I'm happy to talk about it if it's yours. It's definitely going to be mine. Okay. I'm going to go close my door quick, actually. Get some water. I'm so prepared.